Can you guys hear me? It's, it's kind of hard to hear from here. Okay. <laughs> uh, Happy New Year. <laughs> I know we are, what is, what is today? Today is the, uh, the 8th, I think. So we are eight days into the new year. And so when I was asked to share a message, that's the thing I always struggle with the most is uh, coming up with a title uh, for the message. Because a lot of times um, I don't come up with what I want to talk about until maybe the night before. And it's not because I don't have content, it's because I don't know what punchline I want to bring about. And so I'm thinking, like, what do I want to talk about? And a lot of times the sermons are, the titles are very generalized, like, God is love. I mean, you could do any sermon with that, right? But you do want to be a little bit creative. Um, when, when you're presenting a message, you want to have a little bit of, of uh, captivity. You want to capture the attention. So some preachers, they use um, stories, or they use a, a fact, or they use a title, uh, so one time I was preaching at this church, I never spoke there before, and they asked me to come and, and share a message. And I'm used to speaking to like, you know, a younger demographic, and I figured, you know what, I don't know this church, but I want to have a catchy title because I actually know what I want to talk about. <laughs> so let me put a catchy title. And I thought it was kind of catchy, I don't know, you guys can be the judge of it, but um, uh, when they asked me to submit it, I, I submitted this, How to Destroy Your Enemy. <laughs> And, and it, it might have sound kind of like, well, a little bit intense. Like, what, what do you mean, destroy your enemy? Uh, but the intention was uh, destroying your enemy in the sense that you love your enemy, bless those who curse you, and as the Bible says, heap coals of fire. And in essence, you turn an enemy into a friend. Amen? You turn them into a family in Christ. Well, today um, I was also struggling with what I should talk about, or rather the, uh, the, the, the title and I was asking uh, Jake actually for some help. Like, hey, what, what do you think I should actually title this? Because I have an idea what I want to talk about. And we agreed, we're going to call it The Promise. Amen? Amen? The Promise. And so with that being said, why don't we go ahead and bow our heads for prayer, and then we're going to get into the message. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you so much, Lord, for this opportunity to worship you and to study your word. I pray that your spirit would be present with us and that Christ would be glorified through this message. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are eight days into the new year, so I'm going to ask you uh, a question that you might have heard many, many times. Uh, how many of us have made a New Year's resolution? Oh, not that many, huh? Just, just some of us, huh? And you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us actually kept those resolutions? Okay, some have raised their hands. You don't have to raise your hands for this one. How many of us have not kept the resolution? And so uh, eight days in, and a lot of people have made these resolutions uh, these promises that they want to do because the past year may have not been that great or maybe the past two years with the pandemic. And so we're thinking, you know what, 2022, this will be the new year. A new year, new me. And in this year, I want to do things a little bit differently. I want to uh, succeed in my goals, whatever those goals might be. And so I just wrote down a, a bunch of random different goals that we might um, have, we might say, you know, this year I want to go to the gym and I'm going to either lose weight or I'm going to gain some weight, whatever the case might be. Or I'm going to change my diet. I'm going to eat a little bit healthier, eat more vegetables or whatnot, drink more water. Or maybe we might say things like, you know, I want to, this is the year I'm going to attack my debt. I want to be debt free. I want to pay off my student loans, pay off my credit card. Or I'm going to travel more, learn a new instrument, a new hobby, or maybe even pray more, go to church more, go to do more of my devotions more consistently. It's a new year. It's a new me. Fill in the blank. You might say, this is my year. This is the year of the Genesis, you might say, or maybe put in your name. This is my year, and this is the year that I'm going to start something new. 
start something new. And there's nothing wrong with that in and of itself because uh, the Bible says, I know the, the context of this is more spiritual, but the Bible says without a vision, what happens? The people perish, right? And so in order to fulfill your goals or your dreams, you have to know what you're aiming for, right? And so we have these new goals, we have these dreams, um, and all these different things, but we're going to focus more on the spiritual aspect of things. We're going to focus more on the spiritual aspect of things. We're going to talk about promises. Now, we have made promises maybe to ourselves or maybe to others, but how many of us have ever been disappointed before? Someone made us a promise, but they did not fulfill their promise. Has that ever happened to you? Or, you don't have to raise your hands for this, how many of us have made the promise and we ourselves did not fulfill that promise? Has that ever happened before? And so when there is a, a break in the promise, what happens to trust? It goes out, right? And so what are some examples of promises that we could think about in practical, everyday life? Maybe promises to ourselves, like I promise myself that I'm going to be a new year, new me, right? Get debt free or whatever the case might be. Or we might make promises when we buy a car. You buy a car, you sit in the dealership and you say, you know what? I'm going to uh, make a contract, a promise. They'll give me this car in exchange. I will pay for this. We make these promises, but sometimes we don't keep those promises. Our promises, as inspiration tells us, are sometimes like ropes of sand. Ropes of sand. How many of you guys have ever done like a Tough Mudder before? Anyone? No? <laughs> okay, I see one hand back there. <laughs> and uh, you know, when you're doing like a Tough Mudder, it's all about teamwork. And sometimes there's these obstacles in which you have to climb and you need some kind of rope. And it's, otherwise, it's almost impossible. But imagine these ropes made out of sand. How disappointing, how discouraging would that be? And so we are told that our promises can be like ropes of sand. Now, here's a verse I want us to take a look at, and we will come back to this as well, but it's in um, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13. The Bible says, if we believe not, what happens? He abides faithful. He cannot deny himself. And so when it comes to a, a promise or when it comes to a covenant or when it comes to um, some kind of contract, how many parties are there? There's two, right? At least two. And both are contributing something. So if you're going to buy a car at a dealership, the dealership is contributing the car. And what are you contributing? The money, the monthly payments or, or whatnot. If you go for a job interview, um, you are contributing your services, your time and your effort. And what are they compensating you with? With, yeah, with a paycheck right, and some benefits. And so we understand that when there, are, when there is a covenant, when there is a promise being made, there are at least two parties. But the Bible says that if we believe not, if we don't do our part, but yet, notice that God, God is consistent, God is faithful, and he cannot deny himself. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. But um, let's take a look here. In Psalm 40, verse 8, the Bible says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Yea, your law is where? Is in my heart. You know, when God created humanity in the beginning, when God created the earth, right? There was a perfect God with a perfect people in a perfect environment. 
And it wasn't until sin was introduced that everything became a disaster. But prior to that, I would imagine that Adam and Eve probably did the will of God with joy in their heart. Yes? They probably did it with joy in their heart. But then something happened. And what happened? Sin was introduced into the garden, right? And because of sin, uh, this, this walk that Adam and Eve had with God, this love that they had for God, I feel like it turned into fear. And so now they were afraid of God. We know the story, right? What happens in the story of the Garden of Eden? Adam and Eve are there, and God had given specific instruction to do what? Not to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, or else what would happen to them? They would die, right? But God, at the same time, gave liberty that you could eat of any other tree. So when you think about it, God is not so much restricting, but God is really giving them a lot of options. But long story short, we know what happens. What happens? They disobey God, they eat the forbidden fruit, and then what happens to them? What happens to their eyes? Their eyes are opened, and they see their nakedness. And when they see their nakedness, how do they feel about this nakedness? They feel ashamed, right? They feel ashamed. They feel ashamed. And what do they do about their nakedness? They try to, okay, what do they try to cover their nakedness with? Fig leaves, right? What's really interesting is when they hear the voice of God in the garden later, how do they respond? Now, why would they go hiding? Okay, they're scared. What else? They feel guilt. But what does Adam say? Do you guys remember what Adam says? He tells God that he's afraid because we're naked. But wait a minute. I thought he just covered himself. And it goes to show us here, friends, as we go through the Bible in the Old Testament and even the New Testament, as we go through the the Old Testament stories, what we see a lot of is faith in God versus our own works. Righteousness by faith. Putting our faith in God and surrendering to God versus putting faith in ourselves. And so what we have is when you look at Adam and Eve and the reason why they fell, um, I would have to say that maybe one way we could look at it is that it was a lack of trust. Can we kind of see where that's going? When God said, don't eat of that forbidden fruit and a serpent tempted Eve, you know, you'll be like God. You know, that sounds pretty appealing. And so there was a, a lack of, you know, trusting God's word, and she believed the serpent, and she ate of the fruit. And then to cover their nakedness with their own works, they used fig leaves, but when God was present, no matter what they did to try to cover themselves, they still felt naked and ashamed. And it tells me this, and we're going to see this throughout the Bible, is that when we fall short and do something that we know we shouldn't have done, sometimes instead of running to God, we try to do some kind of good work, hoping that it will compensate for the bad that we just did. Hoping that, you know, okay, I just, I just exposed myself, so now I'll cover myself with these works of fig leaves, right? But that might fool everybody else, but in the presence of God, we realize that we're still naked. We're still ashamed. And so we cannot save ourselves by our works. We need something even more than that. But let's take a look at this theme here. So throughout the Bible, God has always wanted to be with his people. He even says, make me a sanctuary that I may dwell with my people. His name is Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And so 
here in the book of Genesis still, God wants to make a covenant with Noah. The Bible says here in Genesis 6, verse 18, But with you will I do what? Establish my covenant, and you shall come into the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. So God wanted to establish some kind of covenant with Noah. Now, what's really, really interesting is that when we look at creation, when we look at the book of Genesis, every day that God creates something, he takes something that's empty and he fills it. For example, the oceans. What does God do to fill it? With the fish, right? Uh, the sky, what does he do to fill it? With the birds, right? With the land, what, is he, what does he use to fill it? With animals, right? And then the Sabbath is a space and time, and how does he fill that? With his presence, with himself. Very, very interesting. So before God created the world, the world was a watery mass, right? The Bible says the Spirit was hovering upon the, the water, the deep waters. And when God took up creation upon himself, he, he created, and there was land, and there was birds, there was fish, and there was all these things. But the Bible tells us that there came a time in which, you know, the world was so wicked that there was a flood, and it's almost as if everything went in reverse. The waters that were separated from the sky and from beneath all came together, and the earth was flooded. And it's almost as if God is starting over, and he wants to make a covenant with Noah. He says, with you I will establish my covenant, and you shall come into the ark, you, your sons, your wife, your sons' wives, with you. So he makes a covenant. But even after he makes his covenant, what happens to humanity after this? Does anyone know the story that happens after this? I heard it. The, the what? The Tower of Babel, right? And what was the Tower of Babel all about? What was so bad about the Tower of Babel? Okay. They're trying to reach heaven. And um, what, what, what is so wrong with wanting to reach heaven? What was the motivation behind the Tower of Babel? <laughs> that just in case, because what happened right before the Tower of Babel? The flood, right? And by the way, we are told that um, it was by God's grace that the ark was preserved, amen? The, God sent his angels to preserve the ark. So it was by God's grace that humanity was spared. But after the flood, the people thought to themselves, you know what? Just in case there is another flood, we need to do what? We need to save ourselves. And so they took it upon themselves to try to save themselves. And so what we see here is another act of works instead of trusting in God. Let's rewind a little bit. If you guys might remember um, Adam and Eve's children. They had Cain and Abel, right? And what happened in that story? They both brought some kind of offering, right, or sacrifice, and God accepted uh, Abel's, but not Cain's, right? And um, the reason being for that is because Abel's offering or sacrifice was, was that that resembled Christ, right? And uh, that of Cain was that much more uh, of, of his own offering, his own works. It's really, really interesting that as we see through the Bible, that there is a correlation that we see between works versus trusting in God. Trying to save myself, trying to please God by my own work versus 
pleasing God by accepting his sacrifice. You see, God has provided. So going back to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve were, were naked and ashamed. What did they try to do? They tried to cover their nakedness with their own works, with their own fig leaves. But even with that, in the presence of God, they were still naked. So God had to clothe them himself. And how does he do it? He uses animal skins, right? But these animal skins were actual animals, right? That had to sacrifice, had to die to cover their nakedness. What animal do you suppose had to die for the sake of Adam and Eve to be covered? Well, in Revelation, we are told that there is a lamb that was slain since when? The foundation of the earth or the foundation of the world. So there was a lamb that was slain since the beginning that had to cover Adam and Eve. And so what we see is that the two things is this. We try to please God either by our own works or we please God by receiving his sacrifice. Let's keep on going here. So God attempts to make a, a covenant with, with Abram or Abraham. So we've already seen about Noah. We've already seen Adam and Eve. They, they, they sin, they fall, they failed. So God tries to make covenant with Noah, but shortly after they have the Tower of Babel trying to save themselves and they're failing right there. So then God is, tries to make a covenant with Abram. And so it says here in Genesis 15, verse 18, In the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, Unto your seed have I given this land from the river of Egypt unto the great river the Euphrates. And so God made a covenant with, with Abraham, and he promises, promises Abraham, even though he's old, that you're going to have a lot of descendants. Now, keep in mind, you know, he's of old age here, and his wife is uh, not that much younger. And God has made this promise that she's going to give birth to a promised child. And through this child, there'll be a lineage that the promised Messiah would come through. Now, we know the story, right? What ends up happening here? Huh? Okay, so there's a bit of a delay, right? So what do we do when there's a delay? We get impatient, right? And, and when there's a delay, we try to take it upon ourselves. And so what was Abraham's part? What should have Abraham, what was his part? Huh? Yeah, so... Trust God, right? Wait on the Lord, trust in the Lord, and the Lord will do the rest, the heavy, the heavy work, right? But after some time, you know, we tend to get impatient. What happened? They thought to themselves, you know what? Maybe we could help God out. And how many times have we decided, maybe I could help God too? And so they decided to try to help God, and they said, you know what? Why not sleep with my servant Hagar, She's much younger, and then she could produce the promised child. And so, Abraham did so, and they had a son. And what was his name? Ishmael, right? Ishmael. And so now Abraham is probably proud, like, yes, this is my son. This is the promise. God is going to um, fulfill his promise. I helped God a little bit, but he's going to fulfill his promise through Ishmael. But that was not the case. God was going to fulfill his promise, not through Hagar, but through Sarah, right? And so it's really, really interesting. Um, we know this story. What is this story about? So 
So God has to correct Abraham and say, hey, look, Abraham, um, you are going to have a son through Sarah. And what was the son's name? Isaac, right? And what does Isaac mean in the Bible? Why, why does it mean laughter? Because he thought, like, you know, I, I'm at old age and I'm going to have a child? But she did. And so now Abraham has a son, Isaac, and God is going to test him one more time and he's going to ask Abraham to sacrifice his son. Now, what's really interesting here, we know the story, but what I really want to focus on is this verse right here. Genesis 22, verse 2. And the Bible says, And he said, Take now your son. Now, what's the next part? Your only son. Now, wait a minute. <laughs> Let, let's, let's do some math. One plus one is two, right? <laughs> Why does God say, Take your only son? I mean, maybe Isaac was the firstborn. Was he the firstborn? No. So Ishmael was already there. So why does God say, take your only son Isaac and to do what? To sacrifice him. Why does God say that? Son of promise. Now, did God forget about Ishmael? Does God not care about Ishmael? Of course not. God does love Ishmael. God does care about his people. But there's a point that's being made. Isaac was a product of what? promise, right, of faith. Ishmael was a product of works. And if you think about it, the only things that God recognizes is that's what's done of faith and not of works. So God says, take your only son. So in this sense, God kind of did not even recognize Ishmael in this sense, but only Isaac because this was the promise. In the same way, that uh, Cain and Abel, when they brought their sacrifice, God only recognized Abel's because it was representing Christ. Does that make sense? When Adam and Eve were naked, they still felt ashamed by their own works, but they were only clothed when they were clothed by God who fulfilled his promise through Christ. Does that make sense? So when we're looking at the Bible here, what God recognizes is that which is done by faith. Well, let's keep on going. So God tries one more time. <laughs> Let's try to make a covenant with the nation of Israel, right? And notice what it says here, Exodus chapter 19, verse 5. Now, therefore, if you will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then you will be a what? A peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. So God is making a covenant. There are two parties involved. And what is God saying? Obey me, and you'll be blessed. And how do the people respond? Do they accept it? Verse 8. And all the people answered and said, what did they say? All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses returned to the words of the people unto the Lord. So they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do. How many of us, don't raise your hands, have probably made a resolution like, you know what? Everything that God has said, I will do <laughs> this year. I'll be faithful with my devotionals. I will be faithful in um, praying, and I will be faithful in all these different things. All that God said, I will do, and you find out you're not successful. So they said this in what chapter? This is chapter 19. All that the Lord said, we will do. And then 
the next chapter or so is the Ten Commandments, and then this happens. Exodus 32, you have them worshiping a golden calf. And so they said, everything that God said, we will do, and before you know it, they are not doing everything that the Lord has said. And once again, humanity, (laughs) the nation of Israel, failed again. And so when we think about it, when we think about God's people who are constantly making promises or coming to covenant, but they're not doing their part, it makes us think that, well, when can we do that? Let's go back here. I'm going to go back to uh, one of the first slides here. And it says here, if we believe not, if we're not faithful, yet what? God is what? Amen? Praise the Lord that God is faithful, even though when we fall and make mistakes. So let's take a look now at the next slide here. So, when we look at the law of God, where was the law kept, the Ten Commandments? It was kept inside the ark, right? We're going to come back to that. This is very important stuff here. But let's take a look at this. In Isaiah 42, Isaiah is known as the gospel prophet. And you can read a lot about the Messianic promises uh, in the book of Isaiah. And it says here in Isaiah 42, starting verse 6, I, the Lord, have called thee in righteousness. Now, who do you suppose is being called in righteousness? I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness and will do what? Hold you and will hold your hand and will keep you and do what? Give you for a what? Covenant of the people for a light of the Gentiles to open the blind eyes to bring them out to bring out the prisoners from prison and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house so who do you suppose is this person that's being called to righteousness that's going to open blind eyes and bring prisoners out of prison it's Jesus right but what about Jesus and he will give thee as a what a covenant of the people When we look at the Old Testament, God's people have been in covenant with God, but they keep breaking his covenant. They're in covenant with God, but they keep being unfaithful. They're in covenant with God, but they keep falling short. And we think, well, when can humanity get it right? And we see here that God says, I will give thee, speaking of Jesus, to be the covenant of the people. Verse 8, Thus says the Lord, In acceptable time have I heard thee, And in a day of salvation have I helped thee. I will preserve thee and do what again? Give thee for a covenant of the people to establish the earth to cause to inherit desolate uh, heritages. So when we look at Jesus, Jesus, I'm going to fast forward here, who is God, becomes man. So when we look at covenant, Remember, we said that it takes two to make a covenant, right? You need two parties. If you're buying a car, you need a car dealership and the person that's buying the car. You have a job interview, you have the, the manager, and you have the person applying. In this case, to keep the covenant with God, you have two parts. You have divinity, which is always faithful, amen? But then you have humanity, which oftentimes is not faithful. So you might have heard that phrase, you only had one job, right? <laughs> 
You only had one job. That was just be faithful to God and he'll do his part. But even with the one job God gave us, which was to trust him and be faithful, we have failed that part too. And so it's almost as if you also heard that phrase saying, if, if something's not done right, you got to do what? Got to do it yourself, right? And so what we have here is God, which is divinity, becomes a man, which is humanity. And Jesus was given to us to, be, uh, to fulfill the covenant. We see this is very, very powerful. So we have this new covenant that is taking place. Notice what it says here in Matthew. Uh, actually, let me uh, back a little bit. So when we look at Jesus and the life that he lived, you know, the, the life that Jesus lived and the things that he taught were not random. They were there for a reason. For example, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, they are not written in a random order. They are there for a specific structure and specific purpose. When we look at the life of Christ, it's almost as if he takes the Old Testament and the parts where we have failed in the Old Testament, he succeeds. So, for example, um, remember in the Old Testament, we had a, a, a young man named Joseph who had many brothers that were envious of him, right? And um, what happens to him? Joseph has dreams and visions, and as a result, where does he go? I mean, he's sold into slavery, right? He goes to Egypt. In the New Testament, you have Joseph, which is the, uh, um, uh, the, uh, the earth father of, uh, of Jesus, and uh, he is here, and um, he has uh, a, a vision at night, or not a vision, an angel appears to him at night and tells him, you know, you need to get up and you need to leave. It's not safe here. And where does they go? They go to Egypt, right? The Israelites, they go through the Red Sea uh, as a symbolism of what? Baptism. Jesus himself was baptized, amen? Um, And then after he was baptized, uh, he spent 40 days in the wilderness fasting. And shortly after the Red Sea experience, what happened to the Israelites? They spent 40 years in the wilderness, uh, and other things such as Adam and Eve, when they failed in their appetite, Jesus succeeded. He fasted in the wilderness. Um, another example is the serpent in the Old Testament. You might have remembered that time in the Bible where God's people were being bit by fiery serpents. And the only way to be saved was very simple. Just look at the bronze serpent that was elevated on a pole. That's all you had to do and you would be spared. You just have to look by faith. And Jesus said, you know, as Moses raised a serpent, so will I. John chapter 12, I think, verse 12, uh, Jesus, if I will be lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. And so Jesus himself is raised on the cross. And so what we see here is where humanity has failed throughout the Bible, Jesus was succeeding. Now, we don't see the word Jesus in the Old Testament, but we clearly see the stories that portray, that point to Christ in the Old Testament. So the Old Testament is simply the New Testament, but it's concealed. And the New Testament is actually the Old Testament, but it's revealed. It's the same thing here. We see the story, we see the gospel all throughout the Bible. And so God takes upon himself, he becomes a a man, and he makes covenant with God. And then we have this new covenant in Matthew chapter 26, starting verse 27. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them, saying, Drink ye all of it, 
For this is my blood of the what, everyone? New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. Very, very interesting. And so there's a new covenant that's taking place. Now, let's take a look now at Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31, starting in verse 31. The Bible says, Behold, the days come, says the Lord, that I will make a what, everyone? A new covenant with who? The house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Notice verse 32. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. Because what happened to that covenant? When God brought them out of Egypt, what happened to that? They said, whatever God says, we will do. And did they do it? They did not. What did they do? Worship a golden image, right? Golden calf. And so God says, I'm going to make a new covenant, but it's not going to be exactly like the way it was with your fathers back in the day when I brought them out of Egypt, which my covenant they broke, although, although I was a husband unto them, says the Lord. Notice verse 33. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my law where? In their inward parts and write it in their hearts and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. When we look at the Bible, what God ultimately wants is for us to love him and to keep his commandments, amen? But he wants it to be where? In our hearts. Now, I showed you guys the image earlier. Now, in the Old Testament, the law of God, the Ten Commandments, where was it kept? Inside the ark, right? What made the ark so special? Okay. And also, it was also what was inside as well, right? And what was inside? God's law. But God wants to do something even, you know, something even amazing. And what he wants to do is he wants to take the law of God and he wants to put it where? In our hearts, amen? So that in Psalm 40, verse 8, this will be what we will say in response to that. I delight to do your will, O my God. Yea, your law is where? Is within my heart. God wants the law to be in our hearts. But it's not something like, I, I have to do this, or, you know, I, I must do this. It's, I delight to do this because it's in my heart. God wants a law written in our hearts. But let's take a look at this other verse here. John 6, verse 28 and 29. So Jesus, he just did a miracle. He fed a lot of people, and the people came looking for him. And they're like, where did he go? And they found him. And Jesus said, you know, you're, you're, you're looking for me, not because of the miracle, but because I fed you. And he goes on to say, don't be striving for, you know, that temporary bread, but you should be seeking for things that last much longer, for eternity. And they asked him a question, John 6, verse 28. They said unto him, what shall we do that we might do what? Work the works of God. What do we need to do? 
And what is the response of Jesus? Verse 29. Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you do what? That you believe on him whom he has sent. So let's just review real quick. Let's just review all these things. A lot of things that we went by real quickly, but let's just review. At the very beginning of time, you had a perfect people with perfect God and perfect environment. They walked with God. There was no fear, no shame, no nothing. But then sin was introduced. And because of that, there's a lot of fear, there's shame, and there's a lot of broken promises. And as a result of the fear and as a result of the shame, what do we do? What's our, what does our nature want to do? We want to compensate. If I do something wrong, I want to compensate for the wrong that I've done. I will do good works. Hopefully my good works will be good enough. So on the day of judgment, I can say, yes, God, I did eat the forbidden fruit. I was naked, but look at my, look at my, uh, my, 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 fig, my fig leaves of clothing. <laughs> and we feel like, you know, if I just do these good works, then that will be good enough. But as we can see throughout the Bible, that was not good enough. And then we go on to the Tower of Babel, thinking that, you know what, if, if God was to pass judgment, then I could do what? I can save myself, and then I could protect myself. Self-preservation. And then we go on to the story of, of Abraham. You know, God has taken a while to fulfill his promises, so why don't we help God ourselves? And all these times that we see that God's people have tried to help God by doing their own work, has it ever been successful? has not. The only time it was successful is when they took God's promises and they believed on his promises. And so maybe for 2022, instead of making promises to God, it's time to start claiming the promises of God. Amen? Instead of saying, God, I'm going to, you know, do my best. I'm going to do everything in my might to do it myself. Instead, we need to claim God's promises. When God says that you know, his grace is sufficient, we need to claim that as our promise. We need to claim what he has given us. Instead of feeling shameful and try to cover our works with good deeds, we need to claim what the Bible says, that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We need to claim the promises of God. And it's only by doing that that we can see some success. Amen? Powerful, powerful stuff. And so when we look at these things, all throughout the Bible, the main point that God is trying to emphasize here is simply trust in God. Trust in God. It, when we go back to the, to the bigger picture, the great controversy, and the reason why Adam and Eve fell, and perhaps even why the angels in heaven fell, what was happening? There were seeds of doubt being sowed. But what is the remedy to the sin problem? If you look at John chapter 3, verse 16, the Bible says... For God so loved the world that he gave his son that whoever does what? Believes will not perish but have everlasting life. When we believe in the word of God and trust in his word, then we will see success. Amen? We will see growth in our spiritual walk. But you might say, you know what? This is kind of hard to do. There's a lot of information. Maybe it might have gone over your head. <laughs> I don't know. You think to yourself, you know, this is kind of hard to do, you know, um, doing the will of God and just submitting to his will. But you know what? God knows our weakness, amen? God knows, and he sent his son Jesus to this world to become man and to understand what we're going through. Jesus understands 
the struggle that you're going through. Amen? He understands what the last couple of years might have been, how hard it was. He understands these things, and yet he says, my grace is sufficient for you. One of the things that I like to claim onto is Philippians 4.13. And in Philippians 4.13, do we all know that promise? What does the Bible say? I can do all things through who? Through Christ who strengthens me. And oftentimes, this quote in the Bible is misinterpreted. And we think to ourselves, you know, I could become a billionaire through Christ who strengthens me. I could, you know, I could become, you know, whatever it is through Christ who strengthens me. And, and perhaps if it was God's will, he could do those things. But the context, if you read the context of that chapter and those verses, Paul is talking about in no matter what state that he is in, whether he is abounding or whether he is suffering, whether he is hungry or whether he is full, he has learned to be content. And the key word is that he has learned to be content. That word learned means that it didn't happen overnight, but it was a what? It was a process, and it took time. And so for 2022, friends, perhaps what we need to learn is to learn how to trust God day by day. It's a process, and it may not happen overnight, but day by day, as we submit to God, he gives us the strength to do it. You know, the other day I was having a, a really good conversation with a friend, and we were encouraging each other. And uh, we're talking about, you know, we have these goals for 2022, but how do we attack it? <laughs> how do we fulfill it by God's grace? And the truth of the matter is that it can become so overwhelming when you look to self. As uh, one of my favorite speakers said, when I look to self, I don't see how I could be saved. But when I look to Jesus, I don't see how I could be lost. When we look to Christ, there is hope. When we look to Jesus, there is hope because it's not about us. It's about Christ and his promises. Amen? So my appeal for this morning, I know I, I tend to keep it short, but my appeal for this morning is this. Look to Jesus. Stop making promises to God and start claiming his promises. Perhaps something we could start easy. Perhaps we could start easy and say, you know what? I may not be able to read the whole Bible in one setting, but maybe from now on, I'm going to memorize a text, just one text, once a week, once a week. And by God's grace, I will remember those promises and apply them in my life from day to day. Amen? How many of you guys would like to try that? Let's go ahead and pray. Loving Father in heaven, we thank you so much for this simple but powerful uh, Bible study, Lord. That it's not about us, and it's not about our works, but it's about Christ. The gospel is not about us, it's about, about, it's about his sacrifice. And Father, I just pray that you would please um, help us, Lord, in those times that we feel discouraged, that you would help us to remember the sacrifice that Christ has made. Father, I pray that you would write your law in our hearts, that we would do your will, not because we have to do it, but because your law is written in our hearts and we delight to do your will. Father, when we look to ourselves, we don't see how we can be saved, but when we look to Jesus, we can't see how we can be lost. And Father, it's our prayer for this coming year that we would walk with Jesus and though that we are unfaithful at times, he is faithful. Help us, Father, to take these precious truths and to share them with others as well. We love you, Lord, for hearing our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse 
a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.